There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, hello, and welcome, or should I say, welcome back to the Indie Football Podcast. It is the international break, but that does not mean that we take a break from uh, your weekly dose of football analysis breakdown and general chitter-chatter. I am joined this week to my right by the Spanish-slash-Irish contingent of Indie Football. That is Miguel Delaney. All right. You uh, saw your uh, semi-homeland on on Saturday in, in, in fine form. Belting ja- out the anthem. Yes, no, no, uh, yes, I'm, I'm sure <laughs> you were. Jack Pitbrook, uh, you Coming saw in. your actual homeland uh, in action on Saturday. Were you belting out the anthem too? Uh, yeah, yeah, obviously. <laughs> um, where do you stand on the English national anthem? Because it's peculiar that England, the football team, use the British national anthem, where Scotland use Flower of Scotland, Wales use Land of Our Fathers. Um, you know, what would you have as the English national anthem before a football game? Uh, I wish I'd prepared a funny answer to that. Uh, <laughs> obviously, I haven't. Good uh, enough by well, I, I think the, the correct... Now I've thought about it, I think the answer is actually uh, Clubfoot by Kasabian. <laughs> I think that would uh, I think that would really get people singing along. Yeah. It's, a much, it's a much more sing-along song than God Save the Queen, which, regardless of what you think about the monarchy, is a really, really awful anthem. It's quite it's dirge. so boring. Dreary. Yeah, it's, quite, yeah, dreary, it's yeah. like, it doesn't really get you... Go- I think uh, it doesn't really get you going. Yeah. Compared, compared to, like, all the classic... National anthem. anthems, yeah, yeah. Well, you, I mean, want, you want the players to have like, tears streaming down their face by the end of the anthem. That's the, that's the ideal. Um, I was at a wedding a couple of weeks ago, and as part of the the wedding, uh, Jerusalem was one of the songs got sung. Jerusalem's and, good, and yeah. I vow to thee, my country. Both absolute bangers. Yeah. Both in the conversation for potential English national anthem. I think Jerusalem's but a bit overused. I think correct. It, too too many weddings, too many cricket matches. I've not been to many English weddings, so not overused for me in that way. Been Land of Hope and Glory, if you know it. Yeah, um, that's Ma- Macho Man Randy Savage used to have it as entrance. Uh, Great. So like in the that, that, that's a very good way to know it. Uh, that would be my choice. <laughs> also, other true facts. I once, uh, like, I was doing it well, back in the day when I was working at the Mirror, I was doing a live blog on something, I can't remember what it was, and the English National Anthem was played. And I just did, like, one post, like, kind of mildly taking the piss out of it, mm. like, saying, like, I can't remember who we were playing against, but theirs was, like, some enthusiastic, brilliant anthem. And ours was, I was like, oh, like, it's a bit sad, like, hoping some non-existent being might stop an old mm. German lady from dying, whatever, about yeah. God Save the Queen. And my grandma read it and sent me a really terse email <laughs> uh, saying that I should respect the monarchy a bit more. Uh, so welcome to the Indie Football Podcast. Yeah. As I say, we did have England-Spain on Saturday night, at which all three of us were present. Um, and in an interesting experiment of the mind, uh, I was sat with uh, my good lady wife, and you two were both working, and uh, on the way home from the game, I read your reports on my email and you guys had a very different perspective of the game to me, which is, is quite nice because it is a little bit of a, a divergence in thought and, and in opinion. So put me where you guys are. W- what do you think about the game on Saturday night? And then we'll talk about my view. I, I didn't think England were very good. I think I wrote in my piece that they'd look, Southgate wanted England to show that they they were kind of building on what they'd done in the World Cup. But in fact, they looked as... I thought they looked inexperienced and immature 
Um, they scored a great goal after 10 minutes, and then after that, they were terrible, really, until yeah. about 70 minutes. Like they, they couldn't keep the ball. They couldn't really lay a finger on Spain. Uh, Spain just looked a level above them, really, in terms of experience and quality. And then, I, yeah, I know they could have scored at the end, but they would have been lucky, I think, to get two we, all. Even Soke said afterwards that had they equalised through that goal, it wouldn't change how he felt about the game, which is they were kind of, Spain were much better for a lot for long periods. And it was a bit weird, even, I remember being surprised slightly when England scored, because just literally half a minute before that, I was thinking, every time Spain press here, England look really uncomfortable on the ball, which is kind of almost crystallises the, the the remaining difference between England and these sort of sides. Now, from from uh, were, England had enough kind of grit about them to get the ball out and kind of set up that break, which was it was a good goal. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately the, the game just wrote, I mean, it was that it was that, that was an entire issue, technique, particularly technique in the middle of the pitch, and it was something that uh, we'll be of course discussing this later on our actual website in written word, but um, with a piece on it. But Soke said it after the game, basically, we're we're. England are basically just missing that Modric-style player, that Thiago-style player. It, it still keeps coming back to that. Yeah, the, the England team, they remind me a bit of a donut in the sense <laughs> that, like, it, they're delightful and I love them, but there's just a big hole in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's, and they, there's nothing you can... Eat. Like, Southgate talked about, you know, I want, this time I want us to be better on the ball and better in possession and better under pressure. Mm. But the fact is that when you have Henderson... Ali and Lingard in midfield on Saturday, yeah. just as you did, but, just you did for the Croatia semi. You're going to get the same result uh, in, in the Monday or in the Monday's briefing afterwards. Sorry, it was put to Southgate okay, whether um, you know how do you fix this problem, and he kind of hesitated a bit, and you kind of tell. Well, anyway, this this is my own take. You know, you, you, well, I was thinking like it was as if he wanted to say basically you can't fix the problem basically unless you actually have a player like that otherwise you're just working around it Cause it's, and it's something we see again I wrote, I wrote about it yesterday for, uh, for Sunday morning after the game but it still is just a decisive area international no matter how you try and spin it you can maybe get away with it for five six games as Greece did 2004 as England did a bit in this World Cup but ultimately if you if you have that, that midfielder that really elevates teams that, that it's it, no, you can't get around no, it no no I, I, I completely agree with that I think there is uh, obviously an issue with sort of midfielder that England are producing and, and what you'd give for someone like Michael Carrick to play in that Jordan mm. Henderson role. Uh, a piece I wrote yesterday, I can't even remember if it got published actually in the end, it might it might still be waiting. But um, what I was trying to focus on was was looking at Spain's new start under Luis Enrique. Um, the whole of Spain after the World Cup was a bit traumatised because where they were at the last World Cup uh, this summer was we are a team who are trying to get back to our great heights by mm. playing the same football that got us back to our great heights. And, and and essentially, that football, except for maybe like the peak Guardiola teams, has been found out a little bit. And, and the sterile possession that came with... I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I disagree with that because I think the issue... And there's the same argument going on about Germany now. The issue isn't that the style of football is wrong. It's that neither Spain nor Germany in the last World Cup played the style that made them great there was something missing and I think particularly with Spain actually I mean everyone goes on about the directness which is one issue but also the pressing um, and I, which is why I think they became a parody themselves in, in that but Russia again, game but against Russia I mean against Russia they had all of the ball yeah you know, they, they, but, they, but did they nothing with they it they completed over a thousand passes which is like unheard of um, and the, you know they were, the point is they were passing it in a U shape mm. essentially around the penalty area that was the whole problem was that this is what they were doing they were kind of that's like the worst of tiki taka is, is what people were saying on the day I remember and no one wanted to see that again from Spain that's what mm. the, Spain, the biggest concern in Spain ahead of this game was the style of play mm. 
and they wanted verticality as they call it which is is you know more direct attacking and they got it they got so it we started with the first goal. they were really yeah. good they were really good but essentially spain were very comfortable with their personnel and what they wanted was a change in style and they got it and what england had was they had a style but they needed maybe a little alteration in personnel and they didn't quite get it because jordan henderson uh, i think is probably the best player to play in the role that he's playing in the 3-1-4-2 but i don't think he's the ideal player to have there. It, I just it, think he's the best available. Yeah, I agree it, with that. It, it, it does feel as if Selkirk hasn't quite figured out that midfield. I think, did you allude to it in your how basically it's a system that it doesn't get the best out of Lingard or Ali? Yeah, yeah. Well, so, so Lingard and Ali are too similar, aren't they? Yeah. Well, I, I, like, I like both of them and I think like it, he should be trying to get them in the team. My thing is this, a lot of the time at the game on Saturday night, you'd have uh, someone would have the ball in, in the England half Spain would drop off basically to kind of a four, a five, then a bit of a gap, then a one. Um, and, and the four and the five kind of quite tight together. They, they were set up pretty compact. And then what would have to happen to try and create something is Lingard or Ali essentially in the end, because they were marking Henderson, who was supposed to be the pivot out ball sort of guy. So Lingard or Ali has to sprint backwards into their own half. They receive a pass with facing their own goal, about 30 or 40 yards max from their own goal. And they've got someone chasing them the whole time so the first touch is just to pass it straight backwards again so they, they weren't really providing a proper outlet at any point um i think that henderson would actually be far suit can I, imagine these two are like they're like two pistons aren't they they're two box-to-box sort of roles really they need to be guys who are getting up um into the other penalty areas to provide numbers but also getting back to help out henderson at times they weren't doing either almost henderson i think would be better suited to the right hand role of that and Loftus Cheek, I think, is a better a better one than Lingard. But in midfield, like you know, you haven't got the person to play the deeper role. Uh, you know, Dyer is the alternative, and I'd rather have Henderson there than yeah. Dyer. Dyer so. was a disaster in the World Cup. Yeah, like yeah. every every, yeah, t- every time he came on, he made England worse. And then that's another. It, it almost felt on Saturday as if it's a bit. It's a bit of Southgate's default sub, isn't it? Dyer, try, Dyer try, for Hendo, yeah. Try and get that midfield, but it just kind of makes problems worse. I mean. Here, I suppose you could maybe understand the rationale because maybe just to stem the tide, but it often does the opposite because the way Dyer plays just invi- invites the midfield on more. But what happened there is, is so like Henderson has said, got a little bit isolated if Ali and Lingard both weren't going backwards. For neither of them, it's, it's not their instinct to go mm. backwards. You know, they're both naturally attacking players. So at times, Henderson's kind of isolated against a, a triangle of really, really good Spanish midfielders, mm, yeah. uh, which is difficult. And you look at the... And he was saying after the game that basically England weren't compact enough after the, in the first half, and that's yeah. why they got themselves into so much trouble. And, and basically, he, he basically that, that like, Lingard and Ali were too far away from him. Yeah. It's only mm. in the second half when they got a bit closer to him that England were, England were able to, you know, to kind of get a foothold back in the game. But you're it, right, it, like the personnel, the personnel just doesn't really fit, does it, in that system no. for how he wants to play. I think you, you, you would kind of think do you pay stones there maybe well actually in the last like 10 minutes when Dyer increasingly dropped into mm. the back three and Stones was increasingly pushed further forward I mean it, it, I Stones don't, the don't col- much difference yeah. it made but Stones is much better on the ball than Dyer, better on the ball yeah. than Dyer. I mean, that's it, like, and st- Stones basically the closest thing they have to a player they can play in that kind of that that Carrick yeah. That ca- yeah given that they don't have a Carrick mm. That's who, cause, cause they, even though, like, even the good players who they have in other roles, like, I mean, we talked last week about Will Hughes and James Madison. Mm. Like, H- Madison's, I think Hughes is maybe slightly more of a number eight, Madison more of a number ten. But they, they don't have anyone to be that kind of character type player, do they? Mm. There, there is no. The closest thing I can think of is Oliver Skip at Tottenham, who's like eighteen years old. The There's guy, no one the else. Guys that we, li- the guys that we, we like, who we think might be potential England midfielders, 
none of them really fit the the hole that is the issue, right? So Harry Winks, uh, Madison, Grealish are the guys that get mentioned. I think a lot. Will Hughes, I suppose you can add into the conversation. They're they're all kind of more eight yeah, tens. None of the, none of them Winks are, plays are gonna play the Winks role. plays deeper yeah, than yeah. Grealish, oh, sorry, Winks, Madison. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think Winks Winks could do it. I think so. Winks plays the deepest of all those guys. So mm. I think he's he's maybe like the best solution. Like as good as Madison is, I don't think like is he very. I don't think he give you much different from what you get from Ali, for example. But if you have Winks and then Henderson plays in one of the other two, <laughs> yeah. then is that not going to help Winks more? My other question I have about this is uh, broad, more broadly. So, you know, the thing about international management is you can only work with the resources you're given. Mm. So Gareth Southgate, ahead of the World Cup, I think very smartly decided what he wanted was a formation that with one minor tweak you could use against Tunisia yeah, and yeah, could also yeah. use against Belgium. And and he found it because he, he found this, whatever it is, three at the back, five at the back, and you just rotated the midfield you know, I think he envisioned playing Dyer alongside Henderson mm. in the defensive role, and then just one ahead, which never really we got, we never really got to see at the World Cup. I think he decided in, in the March friendlies that he wanted one sitting and, and one, yeah, like in that midfield triangle, he wanted one sitting and two yeah. further forward. But and there was never, I can't remember the last time they played with two sitting. Going forward, with you know, knowing that there's no real tournament games, I guess they do play Spain and Croatia, but no real tournament games going forward. Do you think, you know, the fact that you need someone who can play in that role and this formation relies on a player being able to play in that role, do you think he's going to have to switch shape? Because part of the thing about being an international manager is you've got to find the best shape for the players you have. Yeah. So if there's an obvious problem, it, and does he not have to address that by it, changing it, the shape? It feels a bit harsh in circuit that because he has solved so much. He's, he's, been quite, he's been quite rational and clever about everything and, and very meticulous. And now... Because it feels like he's hit a finite point with that system, and there's a big problems that still kind of ultimately will fundamentally deny England. He might have to rethink things again. But I don't see what other what solutions he can come up with with these players to make like to work better. Like, surely the answer is not the answer is not Dyer alongside Henderson no, yeah, in the four-two-three-one. Yeah. Like, do you remember? Do you remember the England's last qualifier for the World Cup where? Uh, it was October 2017 and they beat Slovakia or Slovenia 1-0 at home with the last minute Harry mm. Kane goal and um, they had Dyron Henderson in midfield mm. together and it was fucking awful it was so bad and I think Southgate knows that he can't go back to playing that way with the both of them together and that's why he's chosen one it, rather than the other does he have to make I mean you, we, you mentioned that, that formation there like you'd switch between Tunisia and Belgium does he have to be a bit more drastic and make England a certain team but basically, develop two concurrent styles. One for games where England are the better side, and then against anyone who plays a possession game, basically transform them into. But that's a just killing. Team. That's just killing the the that is to do that would be to kill the idea of having an identity, but which is, is so it, important is it, to what he does. Is to have one way of is to have a way of playing. But, but if that way of playing is going to be so, co- because I mean, ultimately, it's been it's been proven now you can't play that identity in the really elite matches. And I, I don't I don't I don't think it goes against the identity. But how many how many teams which claim to have an identity have two radically different ways of playing depending on who they're playing against? I can't I'm, think of an example. I'm not sure if it's radically different. It'd be just well. But I mean, but to be fair, that's kind of the nature of when you play these sort of games as well. I mean, ultimately, you know, even, so even a Jose Mourinho team, say, who who's fundamentally a counter-attacking manager, will have to kind of take the game to inferior sides. So I mean, you kind of, for, for anything about the purism of identity and all that, you kind of have to accept the, the real politic of what happens in a pitch in that way. But and, I don't think that it. I don't think that's how Southgate and the FA see it, though. I know, I know, yeah. But but it, but it's going to leave this problem, and it feels like a problem that, that can't be solved until. Basically, they develop a, a number six. I think um, 
I think you're right that kind of uh, he is trying to stamp an identity on this team. But do you think so? Do you think the identity Jack, uh, having seen more of England than either of us, uh, do you think they're a possession team or a counter attack team? That's a really good question. Um, I think they look more dangerous as a counter attack team. But they hardly. I mean, the the counter attacking goal they scored the other day on sorry on Saturday evening, which was great. I, can't, I mean, I can't remember the last time. They scored a goal on the counter like that. They certainly scored a couple at the World Cup like that. I mean, it's just it was just a finish away sort of thing. But but it it just struck me that I thought the defenders look and, and you know at the start I think one of Southgate's big things when he came into the role was I want them to be able to I want defenders who can play the ball and I want them to be able to yeah. pass it around and I actually thought they looked okay at that. Yeah. So he was it was more their defending. He was asked on suspect. yeah. I mean, he was asked on Friday night about this whether um who would have more of the ball and he it was one of those. Um, in the press conference he gave at the Grove, and it was clear that he w- it wasn't a question he was expecting, and he paused over it for a long time mm-hmm. before saying, "Like, well, it depends how good we are with the ball." Um, so you're right; like, clearly they want to have. He wants to be a team that dominates possession, but he recognizes that with the players that he's got, that's going to be difficult. I do think that he will continue to try to be that team, even though there are obvious constraints against him do- him being able to do it, which is the poverty yeah. of the players that he's got in that role. Um, but, but yeah, like uh, you're right. I mean, I don't know what I don't know what the solution is. But equally, I do think that he's going to continue going in that direction, regardless. Uh, on a wider question, and he was about to get into this on Monday night or on Saturday night for the Mondays uh, so Gate. Um, but the Dewey Edison question, I can't remember what it was. But anyway, but basically, do you not think it's a little bit odd that after I suppose 50, fifteen years of or eighteen years of truly international Premier League influence, when when it went from being kind of an English top division to this international league, there hasn't there hasn't been kind of this cultural conditioning to bring in to to create more young passers. What well, sorry? Do you mean is it surprising that English football doesn't create more? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, because there's obviously been a long term cultural issue anyways. Um, in terms of kind of you know, there's always been this kind of fetishization of the proper box to box midfielder and all that, yeah, yeah. and more a kick and rush style or whatever. But given we've had almost two decades now of a properly international Premier League, is it not surprising that we haven't seen more of that? Maybe it's interesting how most most midfielders now that come through English academies want to play as number tens. Yeah, yeah. Like if you ask, I mean, t- I sp- t- tens I sp- and wingers. Apparently. I was speaking. I was speaking to a director of a big Premier League academy mm. about this, and he says the problem that we've got is that all the lads want to be a number ten, mm. and they don't even. It's not even that they want, like, he, and he says, "Well, you have got to say to them, well, what exactly do you want to do on the pitch? Are you gonna, are you gonna stop them from scoring? Are you gonna score goals yourself? Are you gonna get assists?" And it's like, but for, but for the kids, it's all like being. It's not really about what you do. Mm. It's just, it's just like the profile of being number ten. Mm. They want to be the guy who gets to have the most fun, well, I have a couple basically. Of on that. And that I don't. It's in, it is interesting why we don't. The academies aren't better at producing mm. players who can play slightly deeper than that. I. I've been uh, in conversations with agents before where they felt that basically if you encourage your kid to play as a, a 10 or a winger, like a 15, 16-year-old guys in academy, there's just more places for them to get in the team. Yeah, And also it's a position where younger players are more likely to be blooded than, mm. for example, a, a sitting midfielder who can who can pass the ball. I think there is less of a, a trust in that. Yeah. Uh, in the same way that you rarely play young centre-backs. Like even John Stones comes in as a right-back and then goes to yeah, centre-back. Yeah. You know, and Joe Gomez, Joe Gomez is the same, yeah. you know. Like you don't necessarily trust players in that position. Whereas if it's a winger or whatever, you're like, yeah, chuck in the kids, see what happens. Yeah. Um. I think we have an instinct here to, if it's a creative player, you do play them closer to goal, basically. Um. That's a sort of mindset thing. You mm. know, I guess if Southgate saw a player he really likes in the under 17s or under 19s and was like, would you consider moving to 
essentially kind of a more Jabby Alonso style role, that would be the sort of catalyst you'd need to make this change because I think that players who are instinctively good passers and, and, and naturally creative talents, I think in England, in Northern Europe, I'd say probably full stop, you, you tend to play them further forward. But, yeah. But isn't this the thing? I mean, with, with the FA's ongoing rest- you know, restructuring of entire... Uh, co- coaching setup in England and the, and the philosophy and everything. I mean, sure, uh, the one thing about young players wanting to play in those positions, surely the principle, what the principle has been in, say, particularly Spain and Germany, is that basically give give the players the technical skill set so they have that, that that base of foundation, which which you which usually at, is at the very least conducive to players who can slot in midfield, and then after that. What what positions they are best for gradually begin, should mm. should be getting to develop, but there, there still seems, and I have to talk to people about this. There still seems to be a little bit of a, a disconnect in what the FA are doing there, and that's it's there's still a slight maybe um, focus on physical attributes, and and as you say, kind of players wanting to be ten. Whereas in Spain or Germany, it's it's more about well, just you know. The, the, the initial foundation is the skill set and the technique. Awesome. What was it that um, Southgate was saying about Gascoigne? Oh, uh, he said, yeah, but he was asked basically, like, someone put it to him, like, why don't we have a Modric or a Thiago? And he said, the only player I've seen like that is uh, is Gascoigne in my time. Someone, and I, I think as he put it though, it's not actually just about Gascoigne's technique. It was uh, the and I think this is maybe what really what he was really talking about. It was Gascoigne's willingness, the bravery he had to just get on the ball. And, and express, run, yeah, yeah, express himself. That's because that's. I mean, we t- talk about Jack Wilshere probably too much in this podcast, but that, that was that was one of the hopes of Wilshere, wasn't yeah. it? And back in back in twenty ten eleven, was that was that he was able to take the ball and beat people. Yeah, and he may maybe wasn't quite as powerful as Gascoigne, but like I remember that comparison often being made with Gaza. Uh, back he's in he's 20, a bit more constrained in Gaza. Back in twenty ten. What do you mean? Like I mean, well, what I remember most about Gaza is just the range. Like Wilshere was kind of more. He could he could burst, but it was bursting from kind of fixed uh, position. It's a tight but, space, right? He wouldn't yeah. run the length of the pitch. Yeah, there was those, Ga- old, yeah. those old clips of on YouTube of Gaza scoring for Newcastle, yeah. where he'd get the ball like in his own box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like on a muddy pitch, he would just run. <laughs> he'd kind of run the length of the pitch and bang yeah, it yeah. in. Yeah, the amount of space he's occupied, both in terms of his runs and then the kind of the uh, the range of passes he had. You know, yeah. what I think uh, you know what I think is closest to that is uh, well, in fact, Palace uh, chairman Steve Parrish said it about Grealish. He said. Is the best English player I've seen since Gaza. Really, and and he's got he has got that sort of picks up the ball and you, Irish player you never know what's going to happen. You never know what's going to happen <laughs> when he picks up the ball. I actually I think R- Ravel Morrison. I've said it a lot. Um, I know uh, I know someone who's trying to move him to the MLS. Uh, Loftus Cheek. Yeah, yeah. Now he's not going to get much game time at Chelsea, which is a real problem because he fits the role that Lingard is playing better than Lingard does for England. And I, I like Lingard. I think Lingard's actually completely surprised me. As he's a much better player, I think, than I ever thought he was. Yeah, me too. Um, I, I think I was probably quite harsh on him earlier in his career because I thought he was just a product of Man United uh, and their system and being in a good team. Whereas he, I think he is actually a legitimately very good player in his own right. Loftus-Cheek fits that role better. He turned down a photo with the Moose. Did he? In the mix zone on Saturday That's night. Yeah. Sad That's to see. good. Professional. Um, that is what I want. <laughs> Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I think we've got, you know, we've got players who could go in there, but they're constrained by the fact that they're not playing club level. So that's a, another problem. Do you, Otherwise, apart from the midfield, which is kind of all we talked about basically after this game, were you happy with Pickford? Were you happy with with the back three, which is slightly different? Uh, I thought England defended really badly. Uh, I thought Especially it was that, second goal. Yeah, I mean, Maguire, Maguire got caught out. First goal is the, the first goal was a nice move, but it shouldn't have been that easy for Rodrigo to get in behind mm-hmm. and pull the back, pull the ball back, and Saul should have been tracked better. Second goal was bad marking. The way that um, I've forgotten who it was. He bent that run in between Kane and Gomez yeah. in their post. Um, so it's just really sloppy defending, and that's why. Um, and that will that that will really that will really appear Southgate off set piece defending as right, well because you know he works a lot on set pieces. But it was interesting how how Gomez started ahead of Walker. Like Walker, I thought was really good at the World yeah. Cup, but um, Gomez is an actual. I think Gomez Gomez has speed, which which clearly is a, a thing that they wanted in. There. So does Walker. But no, 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 no. Of course, that's why Walker was in yeah. there. But, but I think Walker was in there because they wanted an element of speed to the back line, which was otherwise quite sluggish. Gomez has speed and is an actual centre back. Yeah, yeah. Gomez twice was caught mm. out of position uh, that I remember, but I only noticed because he made good recovering tackles. Now it's that's the sort of Sergio Ramos thing, whereas it's like, okay, he made the good recovering tackle, but he shouldn't have been out of position in the first place. You know, and and Rafa Varane actually does it a lot. He puts himself in positions where he might have to make the recovering tackle, yeah. but he knows mm. he can make it. On a slight tangent, uh, one of my favourite things about the game was a minute into it Ramos already being booed he's on the ball more than anyone his response to that is to play a brilliant 60 uh, yard ball that, that, I think it was for Rodrigo who was just offside mm-hmm. uh, what do you think of um, of Spain Miguel uh, a couple of new faces obviously so Jordi Alba not in there yeah. and he's been very important uh, for Spain in terms so of interesting given the Luis Enrique history yeah of course I mean, I did think, they have a falling out yeah, yeah I, I think Luis Enrique is, he's, he's almost a bit Roy, Roy Keane level now. So at one point you will fall out with him yeah I mean he's he. I just remember that um, the, the kind of dying days of his time at Barca and just he was so rude in press conferences mm. like all the time he's so terse with everyone and like you know he complained about his treatment by the, the Catalan press the local Barcelona press and stuff but it's like you know it was a cyclical thing Yeah, is, is he thought he was treated harshly so he treated them like crap so then they mm. were harsh on him, so he treated them like crap, and it yeah. just got worse and worse and worse until he left, basically. But he, he fell out with Alba, um, partially because he, he he dropped Alba a lot. He didn't think Alba would mm. play well in the in kind of the back three as a wing back, when you'd think Alba would be exceptional at that. Yeah. But Marcus Alonso um, played quite well. I thought that Carver Hal was excellent. He really probably is. But Barra for the first goal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, like, yeah, yeah, the no, rest of the right, game, yeah. he just completely yeah. dominated. And, I, and actually, his response to that was. He skinned, skinned Luke Shaw yeah, for Spain. Yeah. He made a couple of unbelievable tackles as well, where it's like, oh, the ball's not there to be. Oh, wow, he's won it. Okay, fair enough. Um, actually, this may be slight. Well, I was actually thinking about this on, on Thursday night because the Germany France game was so dull. What the actual best 11 in the world is now. Carvajal, Kante in there would be less fashionable. 
Okay, well, I mean, we might as well do it. Now you said that right, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I've actually think, Jack, do you, you think sketch we'll... yours out? You've got a piece of paper okay, there. Should we, should, we all, should we all do it now? Okay, right. Have you all well, got paper I, and pen? I, I'm going to do it What were you going to ask, Jack? You two have got a bit more thought. I'm going to say my goalkeeper is probably still Manuel Neuer. Um, I think Lloris and Oblak are both very good goalkeepers. I think De Gea is a very good goalkeeper. Um, but Neuer is the perfect modern goalkeeper for me. Danny Carvajal at right back. Uh, yeah. I, I think I've forgotten who all the footballers are. Who <laughs> 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 plays football again? Yeah. Like Varane, actually. Varane's at <laughs> the half. Carvajal, definitely at right back. Um, he's he's been outstanding what, for years. What formation are you going for? Uh, I'm working it out as I go along. Varane <laughs> at centre-back, for sure. That's how we do things at the Independent. No chance we've got Ramos in there. Um, yeah, Ramos is going straight in mine. Yeah, Sorry, we're, we're doing individual elevens, right? We're not doing a sort of team... Um, in midfield, so in midfield, you've probably got to have Modric, um, given what he's done over the last few years. And you've got to have... Do you still have Tavin Yester in there, do we think? No. He plays in Japan. Okay. Um, he's done for me. So who plays, sorry, Japan. Who plays, well, like, I mean. <laughs> who plays at wing back <laughs> for <laughs> any, any team? <laughs> Mendy? John Beresford? Well, I, I would actually. Warren back. I would have had. I would have had Jordi Alba as the best left back in the world. Really? Mm. Oh, no, Kante's gone in. I mean, uh, yeah. Sorry. So the midfield. So le- if you sort the midfield, the midfield has to be Modric, Kante, hmm. and then probably De Bruyne. So, uh, yeah, I've or got De Modric and De Bruyne as a two-man midfield in my three-four-three. Three. Okay. I basically got the names Oblak, Carvajal, Varane, Kante, Modric, De Bruyne, Messi, Ronaldo. How many is that? One, two, three, four, mm. five, six, seven, eight. So I've got three positions to fill. Yeah. A centre half, a left back, and someone else. I need two. So, so basically, I've got a three, four, three, and I need. So I've got. Salah. Blank, blank, Ramos as my back three. Then I've got De Bruyne and Modric in the middle. I can't believe you've got Ramos in there. I need two wing well, backs. I need two wing backs. captain. Then I've got Mbappe, Ronaldo, and Messi as my front three, uh, which means no Neymar. No, uh, not at the moment. Not for me. Not for me. <laughs> sorry, I think, sorry, Ney. I, I think Neymar's more, Neymar's more talented than Mbappe, but Mbappe's actually putting it oh, in Mbappe, better. Mbappe, obviously. Mbappe's yeah. a better player. How have I not had Mbappe? I was literally watching him what last about night. <laughs> what about Salah? Oh, yeah. yeah. Nah. I haven't I mean, either. Salah last season was, was an unstoppable machine. The last thing I saw him do was that miss against Leicester, so sorry, you're caught. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't score against Leicester. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, like, it's like when you get into that, that, <laughs> that mindset, basically, you know. Bournemouth have lost three games in a row. So you're in your head. They're never winning a yeah. game again. That's, that's them done. They look, they look down <laughs> in October. Um, Who's the best left-footed centre-back in the world? Is it Vertonghen or Laporte? Is there anyone from another, like another country that I don't care about? I think Vertonghen's very good. Um, Mtiti? Okay, I'm going to stick with Vertonghen. Are you playing tree at the back? Yeah, obviously. This yeah. is, by the way, I just realised <laughs> this is Great. terrible uh, no, it's over not. an audio medium. Yeah. So yeah. if sorry. you can find Listeners, lines 11, sorry. Um, well, I just, I'll just make a couple, of, a couple of programming notes. Can we get, can we get uh, Helen to, uh, uh, to who, cut some of this out? Who's a really good right wing back who's really quick? Not like Who's the, who's the new Danny Alves? Gary Charles. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> Gary why, why do we keep saying wing but backs this, in the midnight? No, but but this, this, this strikes to, to the heart of the issue here. So you were trying to pick a wing back. <laughs> To fit your like imaginary system, when it should obviously be Danny, Danny Carvajal. Like, who's a better yeah. right back than Danny Carvajal? Mm. Marcello actually has got to be in there. Most my left. Ahead back. of Mendy. 
Yes, obviously yeah, ahead of Mendy. He's on quite biased. How many Man City players have you got? Marcelo's won like four Champions Leagues. I've got Shea Given, Richard Dunn, Wayne Bridge, Nigel de Jong, Craig Bellamy, Emmanuel Adebayor, Rocky Santa Cruz, Julian Lescott. I basically got the whole City 2009-10 team here. And like a lot, we're discussing this despite the wonder of the Nations League, which I have to say I've Broadly in favour of. Okay, right. So let's talk Nations League because mm. the the best eleven in the world segment absolutely tanked. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Nations League was it good to be at an England game that wasn't a meaningless friendly and actually? Yeah. So yeah, you're not getting. Yeah, you know what, you're, not, you're not getting the rash of withdrawals. Yeah. You know you're getting like this actually means something. Like so, uh, the the Welbeck late equaliser that wasn't. Oh, well, also one thing you have to give UEFA credit for actually is they've been very clever about this grouping thing because it means. All of the right, so right across the spectrum of your of the fifty three teams, whoever it is now, they're all playing teams around their level, which naturally creates a better games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so it was so good not to be at like England England three Molten Ale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it was it was really I Slovenia. Mean, it's always Slovenia. Yeah, yeah. It, I thought it, yeah, it was great. Like it was really cool getting to see England. I mean, people didn't really think about it in the context of the tournament. Yeah. Like, there was no one being like, oh, no, England are going to... Yeah. If England lose, then that means they're likely to get relegated into the second tier for the next Nations <laughs> League. Um, but, you know, that'll come in time. But yeah. it was definitely cool to see England playing against a proper team where, yeah. like, you knew all the players and they were really good and better than us. Yeah. Um, it was... It kind of added... It added a lot to the... Well, the one thing I always think, like, in international breaks, particularly mid-season, obviously it doesn't apply to a World Cup, but mid-season... What re- what's really jarring about international break is that you're inve- you get invested in the Premier League and the Premier League has so many storylines. Then you come to international break and like, what, what are the storylines here? There's nothing. Whereas this England-Spain game in particular, and even say fr- uh, France-Germany, even though, even though the game itself was actually quite poor, it had a lot of narratives around it. I mean, yeah. with the biggest, how are England going to cope against a properly good side? Are Spain actually the properly good side they should be? Given their quality and given what happened in the World Cup, so and, and there were just two, but and there was a lot of that. So that was that was that was quite nice to it. And, and I think what you're also getting out of this is you know, the, the fact that it is semi-competitive. And we, so England, Croatia, England, Spain next month away from home. Yeah. Um, even if England do get relegated from that group, it's like, oh, okay, well, like, so what's the next tier down? You'll be playing against like a bit of Poland, a bit yeah, of Austria, yeah. whatever. Not Ireland. Beat those lads <laughs> back up. You know, like there is, and also, you know, say England did. I mean, it's obviously difficult after losing your first of only four games. But if England did qualify for the finals next summer, like that's a bit of a kind of fun thing for next yeah, June, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Like a week long mini tournament where like, England might win something. Like, yeah, why not? Like it's, it's a semi good. It also struck me that it's kind of um, quite good for for Sky Sports. Yeah. You know, uh, the competitive. They don't oh, get they don't get tournaments. You know, so yeah. they can't have tournaments. So this is about as good competitive football as they can get because the World Cup qualifiers or whatever like, tends to be pretty crap. Although this is the wider debate's come from the week as well that it's um, how much of a duty does I suppose the state have for games like this to actually be free to wear. Which I, I mean and so in Ireland there are a list of fixtures that have to be on free to wear television. I think it's actually much longer than here. Yeah. Um, the football list is limited here. Yeah the football list is very limited here. Uh, and I do think the list full stop is pretty limited now. Here, to mm. be honest, like what, what's like what's actually on it? I think we've got World Cup, Olympics. What else? I do, I do think England international should be all um, England internationals. Yeah, I have to say. I mean, Southgate was asked about this at his press conference on Friday, mm. and said ultimately he kind of shrugged and said, well, "Maybe it is an ideal, but it's not. It's not up to me." And rights were sold centrally, not by the FA. Free market mm. capitalism. I mean, like there's nothing you can do about it. I, th- I feel like. Uh, 
that that ship has sailed. Like they get so much money from Sky that allows them to do things like build St George's yeah. Park and whatever. That you've got to take the rough with the smooth. But, but then it's kind of the long term thing. Ultimately, I mean, I suppose I remember like when I first got into football, it was Italia ninety, and then because you have the buzz of Italia ninety, but then you get in, because you're you know you're, you're excited for more football if you're a child basically then you have the league coming and you're able to kind of invest in it all so if you're taking away opportunities to watch then uh then it can it can kill that and maybe well p- p- kids need to have access to a football in terms of watching it and playing it it's true yeah, it's yeah. the right you need the right then it is correct um i was at an event last monday i was talking to richard scudamore who's the outgoing chief exec of the premier league and he and he was saying you know basically we were talking about we were talking about other leagues and their mm. approaches to to I guess, attempted world domination, which is kind of what the Premier League are doing quite well at. And he said, you know, the best marketing device any league has is its own league on television. Mm. And what the Premier League, uh, you know, I remember when, when Palace got promoted and they had to make like a, a 1.5 million pounds worth of improvements to the television galley to accommodate 3D cameras, ultra HD mm. cameras, all this sort of stuff. And the whole point is that if you're in the Premier League, the the, the we, what we need to have is really high quality, really high quality television with like bright, vivid colours going around the world, and it's such that like if you watch like um, a Liga game or a Serie A game from like the wrong stadium, it looks like you're watching football in the eighties. You know, like really bad quality cameras and it like the, the lighting's not good, whatever. If you watch any Premier League game, the lights are like bright, bright, bright. The colours are vivid, yeah, and yeah. it's ultra HD. So I think. Mm. The w- what the Premier League realised a while ago is you need to be getting the high quality broadcast into as many homes yeah. as possible and that's why you know they strike a deal that lets match of the day continue yeah, yeah. as well as yeah, being yeah, on yeah, Sky yeah. and all that sort of stuff whereas uh, so La Liga in, in the US for example went with BN Sports which is a really minority channel that mm. no one uh, it's hard to get hold of whereas Serie A is now on uh, on ESPN, ESPN yeah, yeah. which is uh, like huge because and, and there's been massive not just investment in terms of money but in terms of the the play they're making of Serie A now. exactly but that's why I mean the, the, the Spanish thing is interesting because obviously they're being very proactive about where they go next and how they challenge England they've got an office in, in yeah. the US now but if I, if it's difficult not to feel they're almost they're trying to be a bit too innovative at this point because you know as as much as uh, as value there is in this kind of eleven sport thing, the amount of people you see complaining about, well, I don't, I don't have ready access to, uh, and it's, and this is, I know this is a very kind of your da comments and uh, and it's such a casual thing. But I actually think it is on a day to day level important. People they just want to sit down and stick on a TV, very and there is Spanish football, and yeah, and that yeah. sucks people in. If you have to go through three or four little kind of even te- even minor technological things to get it on. People are just less. Like, oh, I'll just see what's on telly. The thing with the La Liga as well is a lot for a lot of mm. people in England I mm. mean, because it was always on Sky. It was, mm. it was what I call wallpaper viewing. Yeah, yeah, that's you what know, I mean. You're at home yeah, like, yeah. on a Sunday evening, whatever. You casually you flick, put on Barcelona, yeah. but, that, but that that is good yeah, though. Yeah. Yeah. You flick through Sky Sports, or whatever finishes like uh, whatever crap mm. game on a Sunday, like Burnley versus Man United, and then it's like seven-ish on a Sunday night. Valencia versus Atletico Madrid's on Sky mm. Sports too. Okay, bang. Like, mm. I'm going to have it on. And then mm. you watch it and you're like, oh, actually, Marcelino's knows Valencia are quite good and all this. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's not on. And you've got to watch, like, Catfish. Yeah. You've got to Real Housewives of Atlanta. And, <laughs> and, and, and you know, it's, it is a thing about, like... I have actually watched that. It is good. <laughs> have you ever watched Wags Miami? Have you ever watched Say Yes to the Dress Atlanta? Yeah, Say Yes to the Dress is... An, and what's the other one? I've watched none of these programs. Uh, <laughs> Van you don't Pump, have a girlfriend? Vanderpump Rules. <laughs> Vanderpump Rules is a very good Bravo reality show about uh, a restaurant in LA. Anyway... Um, I've been passed a, a small notebook, uh, well-kept so, notebook. So, listeners, I have uh, come up with the correct answer to the World Eleven question. Jack's um, World Eleven. I'm not having this. David De Gea in goal. Um, I might dispute that, but I'll let it go. Back three of the Spanish David Luiz, Sergio Ramos, 
uh, Rafa Varane and Vertonghen. Needs a left footer to go on the left of the back three. Miguel has crossed out Vertonghen and put N'Golo Kante. So I'm going for a 4-4-2. If we're going for a 4-4-2. Or 4 3 Proper football man. Um, inexplicably, JPB has included Benjamin Mendy as his left back. He's a unique threat. He's a unique player, Mendy. <laughs> unique in that he barely played football for about 18 <laughs> months. Um, Miguel's gone for Marcelo, far more understandable. Uh, central midfield, Modric, De Bruyne, and obviously for Miguel, that's got Kante like, shoved in there as well to do the legwork. Carvajal uh, on the right, nobody's arguing with. And then the front three, Messi, Ronaldo, Mbappe. I would have quite liked to have not... I mean, Ronaldo hasn't scored for Juve, and I'm not sure... Yeah, I, I mean... I don't know. Mate, now I think about it, maybe I would like to not have him in, but so I don't yeah. know who I'd have in... Basically, cultural influence. You can make a case for Kane, Salah, Griezmann... Kind what, of a handful of different people I'd like, in that front what three What I'd instead. like to ask you is, this is the current eleven, which is, let's be honest, mainly based on last season and the World Cup. By the end of this season, which players do you think might have surged into this eleven? Ooh. I would say, I, I wonder if Nabi Keita might be. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, little bits I've seen of him, he sizzles. He does look really good. I mean, I don't. If I were to have Keita, I'd have. I'd go to four three three because I wouldn't mm-hmm. want to not have De Bruyne and Modric in there. But if you had a four three three, he would be a really good addition. For part of last season, people thought Modric looked a bit leggy. Uh, he had not been as good as, as in previous seasons. So I wonder if uh, his physically he's going to stand up. Um, Virgil Van Dijk, I think, is a player on the brink of getting in there. Yeah, I, I now you say that. Actually, wait a, wait a second. Isn't Van Dijk left-footed? Van, yeah, Van Dijk's better than Vertonghen. And, he's, and I think he's better defender than Ramos as well. So yeah, I think I probably would have, if I probably would have Van Dijk on the left of that back three. Mm. Uh, and 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 you know, if Harry Kane has another stellar season, I think he has to be in contention as well. I guess because he's just scored lots of goals over the last two, three, four years. Um, Listeners, please. I mean, this sounds like a piss take, but it isn't. Please tweet us your yeah, why not? your your world levels because I'm kind of curious then, to, to hear what you're people a say. Listener, so uh, yeah, please uh, tweet us. Who uh, what what, what entry to the first eleven or the best eleven will we look least favourably on? What player? Well, and, and if there's a team that we think is really good, <laughs> uh, we'll send a prize. Who's the, who's the obvious one that people put in that we don't? Nah. <laughs> what book was that you received? Uh, Alexis Sanchez. Alexis Sanchez. Yeah, Pogba maybe. Pogba will be included. Yeah, so. there'll be a lot of Pogba's yeah. out there. Uh, the book I received was uh, a book about um, Liverpool's boot room. I have, I, I actually couldn't open the uh, the envelope properly yet. It, it had, <laughs> okay. uh, well, we get sent a lot of books. No, no, no. So no. I, I know the correct answer. The correct answer is Mesut Ozil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you put Mesut Ozil in, uh, please, we, we will block you. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't read. And that's, and that's all of us. So you won't be able to see any of our tweets ever again. <laughs> So there you go. We've got uh, World Elevens coming in. Uh, tweet those to at Miguel Delaney, at Great. Jack Pitbrook. Uh, don't worry about me. Um, <laughs> there, are, uh, yeah, there, there are prizes. I'll, I'll find a book on the desk. There's absolutely tons of books here. And we will send those. Anything else to say before we go? Uh, well, slight defensive. I was not that I think he should be in the best eleven in the world. But without him, Germany looked very boxy and predictable on, on Thursday night. Boxy. Yeah. Oh yeah, you went to Germany for. They're all they're all rigid and there's not much there. Oh yeah. How, uh, quickly, how was your time at the Allianz Arena? Good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Great food. Best ground in is it your favourite ground in Europe? I do like it a lot, but it just it's the best football stadium. I but I, I, don't, I don't I'd have the Bernabeu way ahead of it. In terms of quality, it's the best football stadium I think probably yeah. in the world. All, all the facilities and all that. Yeah, facilities. It's the best in the world. It, it's impossible to get away from this. So ultimately, one of the great things about when you sit in a stadium like the Bernabeu, and I think the Bernabeu, the, Bernabeu, the view in the Bernabeu is better because it's the steepness, which I quite, it has steepness a, is massive. It has an epic feel in both look and when you're sitting in your seat, but also you know the amount of football history that has happened in that stadium 
whereas the Allianz Arena ram it down your throat. Yeah, yeah. Well, but but even but even still, like just yeah. like in your own. Whereas uh, like the Allianz have only been alive for, are there for twelve years, so it's it is a little bit difficult to get away from that. You, yeah, yeah. the the Allianz, I think, is the best football stadium in the world in terms of facilities, atmosphere, quality, all the stuff that goes with it. It's not the stadium I'd most like to go to. It's not yeah. the stadium. I, yeah. I, you know, I was very impressed when I went there. It's not the stadium. Like I'm, I'm not like craving to go there. I, yeah. would, I, I would rather go to the Bernabeu. You're right, um, because there's something special about those. San Siro, the league nights yeah. there. Right. San Siro is great. I kind of it's weird. I uh, I completely agree with you about the Allianz. Mm. Ed, I agree, it's the best stadium. But Miguel, I kind of think that when I associate when I associate the Allianz with more than anything else, it's like Bayern playing well but inexplicably screwing it up in the Champions yeah, League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, the yeah. 2012, se- sorry, the 2012 those, those final. Those were at the Allianz, and plenty yeah. of other times since, yeah. where you're like, oh god, look at their first team. They're going to kill whoever they're playing. And then like by the end, like, Ronaldo scored again. Here we go. Oh no! <laughs> I, I did both legs of the Atletico. Bayern semi when it was um, Simeone against Guardiola. Yeah. It's one of the and best semi-finals. That's that that is one of the best semi-finals ever. Yeah, and like and it was it was a real privilege because uh, it was when I was in Madrid and Real Madrid were in the other semi-finals. So I covered like all of the yeah. legs of the semis, and we and I flew out to to Munich for that, and it was just the perfect thing. It was Pep's team absolutely dominating and trying to break down a Simeone team basically for yeah. the entire ninety minutes, which was absolute class. Uh, great stadium, uh, terrible weather, great place. But I think your point about the, the steepness and the rake is important. When you go to Valencia in December, mm. the Mestalla is great for that. Mestalla, yeah, I've never been to the Mestalla. Mestalla reminds me a bit of the Bombonera in terms of its its shape and its and its steepness. Who plays there? Sorry. Valencia. No, Bombonera. Oh, Boca, Boca Junior. Right. Yeah. Um, <coughs> what, 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 yeah, Bo- Boca's really mm. steep and it has to be because it's, it's fitted into like a, a neighbourhood, basically. Like There are houses behind it on all sides. Not, not much mention of camp now here, actually. It has its flaws, it has to be said. But is it's it's a great press position like yeah. you're incredibly high up and, and stuff but as a, as a spectator I don't think the new camps uh, actually I, I want the one thing on that o- Old Trafford has become actually a very very dated stadium it's almost it's bad now in almost everything except when you sit in the seat then and you basically look around and you know, the, the view is incredible the scale it saves made, and then of course you know again it's that it's got that feel of a lot of football history has happened here I'm surprised but they haven't tried to get bigger I know yeah. I mean but I it's, like, it's not that much money to them a, 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 Anfield is actually I think in, ter- in terms of if we're going for the kind of more modern what you talk about with the Allianz Arena the modern facilities and all that Anfield has probably surpassed Old Trafford as, a, as an experience and I don't just mean that from kind of sitting in the press seats although obviously that's <laughs> away end I remember going to the away end at Anfield years ago and it was it's very tight mm. it, was, it was quite it was quite an old stadium I mean they've built the new stand but it's quite the new stadium. stand is very impressive um, any other stadium opinions we want to get out before we go um, really like genuinely excited for the new Tottenham Stadium yeah I think it, it looks I, I've done a virtual reality tour uh, it looks it's going to be fantastic it's just, uh, and added to that it took us oh, an hour and 40 minutes to get home from Wembley the other night yeah that's true <laughs> I got yeah I don't want to hate I mean the worst people in the world are football journalists who complain about their job but despite <laughs> that uh, I'm going to go for it anyway uh, yeah it was like Wembley f***ing hell like, I got in at like what, what time did we leave we, we left, left at 11.40 and I, yeah. I got home at, I, I live in Peckham so it's still in London I got home at like 1.30 yeah, so it's yeah. almost two hours you all the way to Elephant Castle and then, um, yeah. no, because yeah, there was is some issue. This is terrible. <laughs> this is awful. Sorry. Right, we're Bye. Go. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for uh, listening this far. If you have, uh, we will talk to you next week uh, when there's real Barclays, pure Barclays back Two in. Two massive your, games on Saturday. Yeah, back. Uh, we should have previewed those, but we didn't. Uh, so we'll talk to you next week for a lot of Liverpool, Tottenham. Is it Liverpool, Tottenham? Liverpool, Tottenham, and then it's Watford United. Then Watford, the league leaders versus Manchester United. Until then, thank you, Miguel. Thank you, Jack. Goodbye. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.